And I felt like the Spirit of God was saying all year long is, if you want me, then seek me till I come and don't do what you normally do. If you want more than what you normally see, then be so discontent with that, that you wait on me, that you seek me until I show up. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now your hosts, Bill Eliff and Kyle Reno. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast. Uh, we're always glad to sit down at your table, wherever you are, <laughs> uh, in your home or office or at a car somewhere. And and I'm Bill Elephant, and this is Kyle Reno. Yeah. And we are in, honestly, uh, Kyle, one of my favorite series that we've ever I done agree. for 10 weeks here about how one person, one man, one woman yeah. can change a nation. Yeah. And that's our desire. That's what we need right. is uh, uh, people who are uh, at the place where they can be used by God. Yeah. But sometimes that takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it doesn't happen overnight to be ready no. to be used to God like that. Yeah. And you're going to talk to us about yeah. one of those guys today. Yeah, you just have to know when you read the, the Scripture, uh, God uses different people in different ways. You know, it's not the pursuit of what kind of platform you're going to have. I think that here's to say this to our listeners right off the bat. God wants to use you to bring change to this world. Yeah, absolutely. He, he does. If That's in your family, your neighborhood, workplace. Whatever sphere. And it doesn't make any difference that no. if it's a big sphere right. or a medium size, it's that's your world. Yes, exactly. Let God handle that. Yeah. Let God pick in what yeah. places, things, all those. You, you Our willingness to be changed, to bring about change is the question. So mm-hmm. we've looked at some, man, heroes of the mm-hmm. faith uh, in the last weeks. And today I want to talk about Joshua. And I, 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 I love, he's one of my favorite dudes in the Bible. Um, he's a man of conquest, kingdom advancement. If you read the scripture, you know, he's the guy that's willing to step into the Jordan and order others to as well. He's, he's willing to walk laps around Jericho and he's bold enough to tell the sun to stand still, you know, in prayer. And man, I just, there's so many things to learn from Joshua's leadership and life. And God obviously used him to change the world. But what made Joshua Joshua? I mean, what made him this guy that we see in, in a book named after him and used so uh, radically of God? Well, I think you got to go before that. <laughs> you got to see where the beginnings, uh, the origins, if you will, uh, of, of the Joshua. So Exodus 33, 11 is my favorite verse in the Bible about Joshua. Listen to what it says. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to a friend, what I mean, what a thought! Like just face-to-face conversations, God was having with Moses like a buddy. And when Moses would turn again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So I, I mean, come on! I want you to think about this. So here's Moses, the man of God, the leader God has chose to use in this moment to walk people out of bondage into what God desires and designed for for Israel. And he's got this guy, his assistant, that is watching Moses meet with God. That he is, I like to say, he's tarrying outside the tent. That he's, he's in the lingering 
uh, around the presence of God. And when, this is the thing that gets me, and when Moses would complete his time with God and would leave the tent and go give instructions or lead, lead in some specific way, Joshua just stuck around. He just stuck around. He, did, he just wanted to get, and, th- and here's what you have to know is in Joshua's heart. Because nobody else is out there in that moment. He's not out there to impress, per se. Is that He just wanted to get as close to God as he could. He just wanted to get as close. He, he's, he knows I'm not Moses. This is Moses and God's thing. But I want to get as close as I can. As close as I can in the presence of God. I, I think that this is an important principle. If, you, if anyone wants to be used in any way, hear me say this. Men and women of God aren't accidents. They're not freaks. Men and women of God that are used to change the world aren't merely drawn out of some cosmic hat or a random lottery. No, they're people that have been shaped in the presence of God, in the presence of God, that they tarried and they've lingered with the Lord long enough for God to change them. When Joshua first started doing that, he wasn't the same guy when we get to know him because God had been changing and transforming him, Joshua, God made Joshua the man that we know in the promised land in his presence way before that. Don't you think about that? God made Joshua the man that we know in the promised land in his presence outside of that tent. Hey, to help us really capture from Joshua's life here, let me, let me give you three T's that we can look into and see. Here's one thing that Joshua was willing to do way before he was used to change the world. One. He gave God time. He gave him time. Moses met with God in the tent and on the mountain. This is true of of every guy or or woman that's been greatly used to God. John the Baptist met with God in the wilderness. Jesus met with his father in the morning. Peter met with Jesus often on rooftops and upper rooms. So what you'll find is this common theme that men and women of God that are greatly used of God give God time. Give him time. Give him time to, to, to be with him. It's not just a transactional. Like there's something that happens in a man's heart, a woman's heart, when they just marinate in the presence of God. That where you learn, I, I like to say this, right, that you learn how to spiritually breathe and just be with God. That you learn how to just slow down enough to say, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm here and I'm with you. And I'm embracing the reality that you're what I long for most. You're the greatest longing of my heart, that my soul pants for you. I, I think in the world in which we live, this is the greatest battle that we face because everything runs so fast. And then we even try to bring that into the, our spiritual life. Uh, Jesus was just never in a rush. Now, he, he got a lot done. But he was just never in a rush. And I don't believe that when God thinks about in meeting with us, us tarrying outside the tent, I don't think that the, that the Lord is, is in this for accomplishment as much as he is in this for relationship. So I just want to talk to you for a second. Man, when you give God time, when you give God time to just be with you, to do things in your life. So you, if you don't know when that is or how that plays out, it won't be there. It just won't magically appear. So you got to fight for that time. Second thing uh, is you got to be transformed. You got to be transformed. Like it's not just being in the presence of God, but when you're in the presence of God, 
stuff happens. Like I think about these moments, man, Jacob had a wrestling match with God. (laughs) He had a wrestling match with God. Isaiah had a burning coal moment. Moses had the burning bush, we learned before. Joshua was going to have him another moment where he meets with the angel of the Lord, and he realizes, like, hey, this ain't about whose side he's on. This is about me finding out that I'm on yours. I'm on your side. And I just want to tell you, the more time you give God, the more transforming moments you'll have. The more time you give him, the more of those kind of moments where God just sort of shows up and does something. I, I've shared this before, but I have to keep sharing it because I have to keep remembering it. I remember the moment that God, uh, I had a real breakthrough in my own personal fight with pride. That God had called me to give him more time. I'd walked on a fast and shared this story several times and found myself day 19 uh, of this journey with the Lord at an altar, frustrated because I haven't heard a thing from God uh, in, in all of it, and I was hungry. Um, and then the Lord says to me in my spirit, do you want to see your pride? Do you, do you want to, basically, do you want me to change you? <laughs> and he did. And, uh, and I still battle like all of us do, but that was a breakthrough. It changed that front in my life. And so I, I just want to tell you, if you'll give him time, the Lord will transform you. The dude that we know in the book of Joshua and all the conquests, He was not that guy. He had been transformed because he stayed at the tent of meeting. He waited on the Lord. And then the last thing I I would say, uh, if you want to be someone that God uses to see change happen in this world, you got to be teachable. You got to be teachable. It's not just enough to give him time and to be transformed. Uh, Then the Lord gives out instructions. We learn this with everybody. Like everybody, the Lord says, all right, so let me tell you how you're going to do this. (laughs) Well, Joe, let me tell you how the war is going to happen. I I love those moments in Joshua's life that we see when when he asked the Lord, so, hey, Lord, how do you want us to fight them? So is this a good idea? They inquire of the Lord. Is this a good idea? And the Lord's like, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way kind of thing. And then go and do it. So if if we want to be those kind of people that God uses, you got to be teachable. We see that moment that Moses Moses cooperated with the teaching, what God was telling him. And the moment Moses didn't. You see Moses at the rock in two different encounters where he did exactly what he said and then when he didn't. You see those moments in the New Testament where Paul's got everything in his heart uh, to go to Bithynia and then the Lord says, no, 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 what Macedonia. He speaks to him in specific, are, are you going to listen? Are you going to spend time with God, listen to him? I, I love that moment that Peter, and we should be very excited about this, moment Peter's given time to the Lord and the Lord gives him a vision about the Gentile inclusion really. Well, what if what if Peter didn't apply that truth to his life and start telling, you know, Gentiles about the gospel? Well, we, we will be in a lot of trouble. Well, I mean tell you what would happen, God would have picked somebody else that would have. So you got to give him time, be willing to be transformed and then be teachable to take those truths to other people. Men and women, last thing I'd say to you, men and women that tarry in his presence are the kind of people that fulfill his purposes. Men and women that tarry in the presence of God are the kind of people that God uses to fulfill his purposes. Man, you know revival history, Bill. I mean, how this has played out. So it's, it's so beautiful, and I'm just sitting here thinking 
you know, you 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 bake a cake. If you leave out an ingredient, you're in trouble. Yeah, right. But these these three ingredients, yeah. you just can't. There, there's no way to get around this right. if you want to be used of God. Yeah. And every man of God or woman of God has has given God time. Yeah. I mean, I've had people ask me, and I'm not a great man of God, but I'm, yeah. I'm just saying they ask me, well, what's the secret to any success you've had? Yeah. It doesn't take me a second yeah. to say, I meet with God in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that since somebody told me to do it when I was 17 years old. And I've missed a lot and I've disobeyed a lot. Sure. But over now 53 years yeah. or 63 years, 53 years, I my math hadn't gotten better. But, <laughs> but hopefully you you've been transformed. Yeah. yeah, you've been transformed by the grace yeah. of God. So. I love the privilege we're having on these podcasts to not only teach about these, but then hear a story. So we've got a great story for you today. And uh, listen to this wonderful testimony. Well, my name is Byron Paulison, the founder of One Cry, and I love these opportunities to be able to hear stories of movements of God. I love to just go deep into the ways of God as we listen and hear testimonies. Uh, We've said it often, but revival spreads on the wings of testimonies. And today we have a dear friend of mine and a revivalist at heart and a revivalist for many years as an itinerant traveling on the road with our parent organization, Life Action Ministries. And so Lane Johnson coming to us, I guess, from Louisiana today. Is that right, Lane? That's correct. Good to be with you, Byron. Well, it's great to have you, and I loved those years we got to spend together, praying together, crying out to God together, believing God together for fresh visitations of His Spirit and outpourings of His Spirit. And when we talk in that vein, Lane, my mind races back to uh, East Tennessee, Candy's Creek to be exact, and that area not too far from Cleveland, I believe it is, and you were there, and you were in the mode that year, as you always are, going from church to church to church. But something special happened when you landed there at that church. And we'd love to hear that story, if you could, for a moment here. And uh, yeah, just tell us what God did and how it came about and some impressions on your heart from those days. Mm. That was a little over 10 years ago, Byron. But Mm. as I uh, was recounting my own journal entries over the last few days, about that, just all the emotions well up of, uh, you know, the difficulty that people have in this world and tragedies. And you'll hear people use a statement like, you know, this was like hell on earth. Mm. Uh, I would say what happened at Candy's Creek is just the opposite. It was like heaven Mm. on earth. Uh, There was something unusual going on that year anyway, in the team that we're in and in my own heart, as far as prayer and the burden for prayer and really seeking and crying out to God. And so this was actually the last local church meeting that we were going to be at after a very long year of really seeing the unusual presence and outpouring of God's spirit. But but this was the icing on the cake in an unbelievable way uh, in the, in the spring of 2011 in April, um, heaven came down on that church and on our team. And it was, um, just incredible. The frustration is be that I could talk for an hour and we just have a few minutes uh, with that. 
But earlier you and I were talking about uh, Bill Eliff and part of the, the testimony I have of what happened there was the very first Sunday that we started was about a week or two after God was pouring out a season of revival on uh, a local church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where yeah. Bill Eliff was pastoring. Yeah. And I was reading those accounts mm -hmm. as we were starting these meetings at Candy's Creek Baptist Church. And uh, I was jealous. Um, and I told the Lord that not, not an ungodly jealousy. It was a godly jealousy of, oh, Lord, this is what we've been asking you for in our midst. And I told the church that on that first Sunday morning, mm -hmm. urging them to pray and let's and say, if God is doing it there, why wouldn't he be willing to do it here? Will we mm -hmm. seek him until he comes? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was only a few days into that first week when God began to unusually pour forth the spirit upon us. So talk to me a little bit, Lane, about uh, you arrive, you have this fire in your heart because of what you read, stories that just gave you a deeper hunger and passion to say, Lord, do it again here or do it again. And uh, so how, how did it begin? I mean, maybe it was normal, maybe it was abnormal, but when you, when you settle into a church for an extended period of time, where do you begin? And uh, where did you sense in this particular case, it might be different than previous? Not only was God doing something unusual in, in our team and my own heart, but God had, I believe, worked something unusual in this church and some of the men that were already meeting to pray at 630 and certainly in the pastor's heart. And some of the men that were meeting to pray had experienced uh, movements of God's spirit 20 years prior. Mm. And as soon as we started praying and talking about this, those things began to come back in their remembrance. And I believe it really catapulted them. And the pastor had been leading them for 30 to 60 days prior to our arrival, really to seek the Lord in prayer and humbling themselves as a congregation and a church in preparation for this. So what I would like to say is that when God brought us there, he brought something that he was already, already kindling in them and kindling in us. And it came together and it became explosive. Mm -hmm. uh, over the next few weeks. And what turned in to uh, what was going to be, I should say, an 11 day meeting uh, turned into almost a month long meeting there. Wow. And uh, the first, like I said, that first Sunday, I just, I was almost in tears just saying to the people, I am jealous for what God is doing in Little Rock. Let mm -hmm. us plead with him to do it here. Mm -hmm. And by the first Tuesday, three days into our meetings, um, something unusual happened. And I didn't know if it was just a moment in time, but one of our worship team members came up behind me. I was doing some announcements for something and came up behind me on stage and said, God just convicted me that I have some hypocrisy and I should not have been singing tonight. And I feel like I probably need to ask the church's forgiveness for that hypocrisy. But well, okay. So I did that. Well, we went on. About five minutes later, another of our worship team came up behind me and said, Lane, God just convicted me of some hypocrisy in my life, and I should not be doing an instrument here on the stage tonight. At that point, when two of your own team members, which had not happened in my many years of, of ministering like that, 
uh, asked that they need to repent publicly. I'm like, God is up to something. So um, I let them do that. And there was obviously a soberness there. And I just, I call, I, I went and consulted with the pastor and said, pastor, it seems to me that God is doing something unusual. I'm going to go ahead and go on with the plan for tonight. And I have not even preached yet, but I'm going to give an opportunity for your people. If they sense that God is doing a work of conviction that they need to publicly repent of, mm-hmm. that they need to come talk to you. And mm-hmm. if you feel like they need to say something publicly, we will change the course of tonight accordingly. So I went on, uh, I made an announcement, just said, God is unusually working among our own team. He might be among you. And if you sense that there's been such a level of conviction already tonight, even before the primary preaching of the words tonight, then you need to come see your pastor about it. Well, we went on with a variety of things and a lady came down to the pastor. And I, after a while, I looked at him and said, yeah, she needs to be. It was a lady that was very sensitive to the things of God, you know, and, and so I allowed her to stand up. And it was very simple, but profound. And it, this is how it began there. After our two team members, she was the first that night. And she just said, you know, I was sitting somewhere tonight that I don't normally sit around people that I'm not normally with. And I sense during a time of worship tonight and music and things that the Lord wanted me to stand up and lift my hands to the Lord. And I didn't because I was a little Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and embarrassed Mm -hmm. and didn't want to be disruptive. And she says, now I feel like I've grieved the spirit of God and I need to ask the church's forgiveness for that. Well, that began the floodgate because then another lady came down, spoke with the pastor and he said, she needs, well, she was one of their normal worship leaders uh, on, on stage. I think she played the piano and uh, she said something, it was just profound. It, it kind of went like this. She says, I could be playing the piano and singing on Sunday mornings the same way I would if I were in a bar room on Sunday nights, because mm. I am so far and distant from God. My relationship with mm. him is so distant. I have no business on Sundays being mm. part of this worship team in this church. Would you forgive me church? Mm. <laughs> well, mm. that really then got everybody's attention behind her was the worship pastor who came up and basically said, my life has so many hypocrisies in it. The problem with our worship team here in the church and our music department is me. And I need to seek the church's forgiveness and particularly the choir and the worship team's forgiveness for these hypocrisies in my life. And so we got the church to affirm these individuals who were sensing not just personal responsibility for their sin, but also the understanding, which is really a God thing, right? That their sin affected the whole body. It wasn't just a private thing. And so I asked anybody in the music field that needed to go back with the worship pastor to more intimately deal with some matters of repentance and reconciliation to go back to their choir room. Well, about 30 individuals got up immediately and went back with the worship pastor and we kept on. And I believe there was probably another three very similar testimonies that were very powerful to the point by the time that was all over, we had more than extended our time of what we would normally go. God had spoken. There was clearly uh, a a tenderness in people's hearts. And so we stopped there, ended in prayer and just were kind of like, whoa, God did something unusual. I didn't even preach that night 
what I was planning to. It got to the next morning and I was curious on what the prayer time might be like with the men who, again, were meeting every morning at 630, Byron. And uh, the next morning, I think there were 17 men there. And it was started off like a normal, really good prayer meeting. But then the pastor asked, is there anybody who wants to share anything before we pray? Well, that turned into an hour and a half of men beginning to repent and confess and reconcile in areas interspersed with prayer about those issues that those men praying over those men. And then another man would do that. So we were just like, wow. So then we were having a team meeting where I meet with our team members, about 20 young college students that are ministering, you know, with us there. And we were meeting that morning and I wanted to share with them just a report about what had happened the night before. Byron, I couldn't even get through sharing all that before they were interrupting me with hands up and said, I need to ask our team forgiveness. That went on for an hour to an hour and a half. And in all honesty, Byron, it was like 30 minutes because wow. you just got lost in the time frame as God moved down the month. I just want to go back a little bit because I sense in what you're saying, um, you were crying out to the Lord when you heard the story of what God was doing in Little Rock. And then you begin to just sense uh, a, a wanting to be open to whatever it is that God is going to do and going to say. And we're talking to a lot of pastors here and leaders and, and those that are ministers who are conducting public meetings all the time, it seems like. And they and I don't know, it just seems like so many of us would be afraid to change the order of the program that uh, wouldn't even allow a worship team member to come and, and to be able to share publicly for fear of a multitude of things that could happen. But uh, you had a message in your heart for that night, uh, but you never got to it, right? Not that night. We came back to it at another point. Um, but the very, the very thing that you're talking about is something that... In my own life, I would have been very uncomfortable with in years past, but that year, God had done such a deep work in me of just, I mean, he, he really messed me up, if I can say that, yeah, sure. uh, humbled me and brought me to a place. Really, the bottom line for me is that I felt like the Spirit of God was saying all year long is, if you want me, then seek me till I come and don't do what you normally do. If you want more than what you normally see, then be so discontent with that, that you wait on me, that you seek me mm -hmm. until I show up. And so mm -hmm. we had, we were, I wouldn't say we learned, we were learning during that whole year, what it was like to release and let go of what our plans were and be willing to be what I would call led by the spirit in that. And there, obviously there's, there's a danger in that, right? There's for us, I've been a pastor. And so I realized that as a pastor, an open mic, giving somebody a microphone, allowing somebody to say something when you don't know what they're going to say, how it's going to go, uh, is a little bit scary. But when I read historical revival accounts, and our own experience was the same, you know what? God just tends to take care of those things. And if there's something said or done that's wrong or inappropriate, there's, there's wonderful opportunities to gently correct that and steer people in the right direction. Uh, and I can honestly say from my remembrance over that four, almost four weeks of meetings and 25 hours of recorded testimonies that we had, wow. there was only one, one person during that four weeks that I thought, you know, that was, that was a little bit off. I need to say something to correct that. The other 99.999% of the time I was like, wow, wow, wow. Hmm. 
You can trust God. Amen. And the hindrance to revival might just be we try to control it. We try to direct it. We don't let God be God through his spirit in the midst of when he wants to do something really not only genuine and deep, but significant and broad. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much for this time. And thank you for your obedience. I guess if there's a thread that you and I have both learned, Lane, over the years, is that the one common denominator, uh, besides prayer, perhaps, and, and brokenness and so forth, is simple obedience. That yeah. when that team member was prompted of God, they were obedient. When you yeah. were prompted to change the, the service, you were obedient. The pastor the next morning in the prayer meeting, uh, since God was doing something and was obedient. The testimonies of the ladies that stand up and then confess and uh, uh, about the, the fear of man, uh, it's obedience. Thank you so much, Lane. You're welcome. Well, I tell you, it's always so incredible to hear a story like that and just of these lives that have been changed to change others. And the Lord just uses them. And and we, you know, we're we're bringing this. We we put a good bit of work into this, and 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 the teaching part and the testimony part, so that you, the listener, can be transformed, and we can be transformed and be used by God. So to really work that need it down into our soul, uh, we pray. We want to yeah. pray it in to our soul, to our lives, to our character. So. Kyle, why don't you begin, and, and would you, as you're listening, uh, pray with us in this moment about these things? Yeah, Lord, even now uh, in my life and Bill's and our listeners' uh, life today and across the world, uh, Lord, would you show us what it looks like for us personally to be willing uh, to just wait outside the tent and mm -hmm. just be near, uh, right. Lord, just be with you. Like, show us some adjustments to make, mm -hmm. Lord, how to give you more time. Uh, Lord God, how to how to how to learn how to just be your sons and daughters and sit with you, and be transformed by you and be teachable. And so, Lord, I, I pray that this would not just be things we observe uh, from Joshua's life, God, but I pray that it could be written of ours, Lord, that we are these kind of men and women of God, Lord. And because of that, you use us. I pray. And Lord, I just. Uh, sitting here thinking about old Joshua standing outside that tent mm -hmm. and probably people around him, maybe even his family saying, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, you just stand there every time Moses goes in and he may not even answered them, but he just wanted to be close to the presence of God. And Lord, you rewarded that in such an extraordinary way. You built something into him about a man who will pay the price to give the time and be humbly teachable uh, to be prepared. And one day, those other guys that were mocking him looked around, and, and Joshua's the guy who's leading them. Hmm. So, uh, Lord, make us that man, please. Make us that woman. And, Lord, it, it, it begins by not hitting the snooze button. I mean, it's just so simply practical practical to say, am I going to get up or stay up late to just meet with God? And uh, I pray that we would, we would be men and women that will obey you in that. So thank you for this time. And I pray this teaching would bear fruit in our lives 
every day this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, man, what a what a study yeah. in the life of Joshua. And don't uh, take a deeper dive. Go yeah. go look at the book of Joshua and see yeah. the consistency of this uh, throughout his life and right. what made him a great leader and uh, changed his world, literally. So uh, we hope you'll keep joining us every week. Tell somebody about it. Share it. Like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. I, I, I thought uh, about, you know, I just need to send this link to all of my children. Yeah. You know, and just say this. This is it. Yeah. Time transformation teachability. That's yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, and they can listen to it and be blessed more than me just saying it to them. So share it with some people, and we'll see you next time.